0: You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Cavs podcast. I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager over at fearofthesword.com. Today's show is a show I'm really, really excited about. Um, it's a long conversation with the one and only Martin Rickman from Uproxx. He lives out in L.A., but he's from Cleveland, is a Cavs fan, and I, we got into everything. And He was just generally excited uh, to talk about the Cavs, which sometimes when I book guests like that you hear on the show a lot, like Jeff Siegel or, or Chris Barnwell or others they're not always super enthused to talk about the, the current state of the Cavs and, and where what this franchise is right now. So getting to talk to someone who is generally excited to share Cavs takes was a joy. Martin's great. Um, check out everything him and the Uproxx crew are doing. There's a ton of great people, including folks like Brad Rowland and Jeff Siegel and Bill DiFilippo and Robbie Calland doing great, great work over at Uproxx. So please go check out their work. Check out all their season preview stuff that's coming. Promise you it's it's going to be really, really good stuff that's going to make you a better NBA fan, but uh, I'm going to play a couple of ads to get those out of the way, and then it's one long conversation with me and Martin Rickman. The only Cavs news we really have right now is that they've signed Timothy Lewal-Shabarow, actually I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, to a training camp deal. He's a former first-round pick. Uh, of the 76ers, has bounced around the league a little bit. He's interesting-ish. Um, you know, I still think Sendiris Thornwell is kind of the leader of those edge-of-the-roster guys just b- because of his defensive pedigree, but Cabrera is probably the guy I'm the second most intriguing of that group. We'll have a write-up on him in the next day or so up at Fear of the Sword, and then training camp's Monday. So Pod's going to be coming on more frequently, going to be diving into a whole bunch of stuff. I'm very, very excited about this Cavs team, um, even though I have some concerns about it. So if I'm being pessimistic... Don't mistake that for hating or disinterest. I am interested. It's just I, they're not very good, and I gotta be honest about it. So, um, again, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to podcasts. But again, couple quick ads, gonna get, get those out of the way, and then myself, Martin and thanks for listening. We'll Talk to you again tomorrow with another show with an interview with a with a current Cavs player on the back end of that show. So little tease where we come back for that and talk to you then. Martin, let's start here. Where do you, when you look at what this franchise is doing, has done, where do you think they are right now coming off last year, coming off being a pretty bad team last year? And, and also just generally just how they've done in the year plus now since they've, they've the second LeBron era is, is over and they're having to build without him. I think that's always going to be something they're judged on, fair or not, but how do you think they've sort of fared in that time?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really an impossible situation trying to replace LeBron James because it's essentially a star dying and a black hole being created in its stead as everything that LeBron does, for better or worse, exists in LeBron James's orbit. so The team is built around him. Moves are made for the betterment of him or to keep him placated or happy. And as a result, when he leaves this situation, It's not as simple as just passing a torch or honoring him or working through it to try to get past it. You're not going to see a situation like you see in Dallas when you replace Dirk or you see in Miami when you replace Dwayne Wade. It's not just a star player moving on. It is a complete teardown and replacement situation. So to try to expect big changes for the better in one season, it's really unfair. (laughs) It's a really impossible mandate to put yourself under. So last year, the the goals, in my opinion, for the Cavaliers were to see who they had, look at the young players they have, extend or lock down guys that you think are a part of your future, put yourself in a situation to maintain or create asset protection, and then get yourself as many shots as possible at developing young talent moving forward. And I think they did a pretty good job of some of it for better or worse or how you feel about certain picks. And that's independent of the picks. And this is the same situation you run into when you look at any rebuild across the board. Did you give yourself shots? And I think they did that. Now the question then becomes, did they hit on those shots? Sexton had a very good second half, one that I think was overlooked by a lot of people because everyone. Makes their decisions about how a player is, and usually for their entire career over the first two to three months of how they play as an NBA player, which just isn't really very fair. In the case of Sexton, you're operating with a team that really didn't have an identity at all last year. And if I'm wrong on that, Chris, you can try to tell me that I'm wrong. But no, I I, I, I think you're right. I think yeah.
1: So I It's I, just one of those things. Where, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Matt. so I, I think the thing with – no, it's okay. I'm cutting you off. I'm being a bad host here. But I think the thing with um, – the one of the things that, like, really I have a hard time sort of – that I think is true but also I don't know how true it is is, like, I think Colin became, like, a real NBA player. We're, like no, – we're less than a are removed from him, like, dribbling in from that corner. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a game early in the season – um, I think even before George Hill was traded where he dribbled in from an open corner three and took like a mid-range two on the left baseline. And mm-hmm. he, yeah, and he went from doing that to like sh- like being a good three-point shooter and uh, like on decent volume for a guy who wasn't shooting them, good catch and shoot. Um, there's like stuff about his game that I don't know where it is. And there's like, I would say that with like all the guys. I don't think any of these guys are like the guy in five years, I would guess. But he t- when I... W- when I think of like positives, I think it's sex and like looking like not like a wasted pick is clearly like the, the top thing. And even if like, you don't know, we don't know like how him and gollar are going to fit or, or what B thinks of him or, or like whatever, or if his defense will ever be like decent. There's at least like something he's going to be able to do. And that's at least something. And I don't know like what it leads to year two will be really interesting in that regard. But, um, he at least like has skills and i think like there's something that that doesn't show up is like that dude just like does just work really hard and like will just like make the necessary improvements to get better because he just is wired in that way and i i think that matters even if it like isn't like it's really hard for me to say that it's like we can't quantify it but it that dude like always was shooting jumpers like after games and stuff like he just kind of that's just what he does and i think that matters to some degree
0: yeah and i think a big Part of it with him is he's the eighth overall pick. Like, we're not talking about a guy who's taken in the top three. All he has to be is an NBA player. Like, the, the, the hit rate on eighth picks is not the hit rate on top five picks. You're not getting the caliber of player that you get in that range. And Robbie Calland over with us at Dime wrote about this. He, he basically broke down the top ten last summer when it happened because people were expecting these players in the latter half of the top 10 to be superstars off the bat and the second you do that as a fan you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing that player a disservice like expectations need to be tempered, and I think that that was a really important part of last season for the Cavs is this is a different era this is going to take time this is going to be a different team and I think the hiring of Jim Bailey is a really interesting one. Sorry, John Bailey, sorry about that. Uh, I always combine him and Boehme, which Matt's is a fun funny. thing for me. But it's been a thing I've done since I was in college, so a long time of that. But with, with John, that the situation is really do you have an identity? Are you building from something? And while I don't know if this is going to work or not work, I think you had to try this in its own way. He has an imprint. He has ways that he likes to create a system in a, that can dreaded word culture that the Cavs really didn't have anything of because their identity was LeBron James and it's kind of been LeBron James then a team without LeBron James and then LeBron James again and you just couldn't go through a team without LeBron James as your identity for the second time it's just not something that's going to operate in today's NBA you can't wait around for stars you can't hope that stars are going to suddenly want to play in Cleveland when they're all teaming up independently of any set of circumstances that operate <laughs> whether they're under contract for a long time or not right now they're going to do what they want to do and i don't foresee that being let's all go to cleveland because it's cheap to live there and our food scene's pretty good like i it's just not something that's going to work and so i appreciate you, you mentioning create- the
1: cleveland food scene because like it is a very good and be like any media member who like said they couldn't have good meals in cleveland when they were here like for sure june's like get bent that's all I'm going to say about that. Continue.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's one thing if you walk three blocks. And like, do some Googling.
1: Ask some people is. at, like, coffee shops. Like, you know, like, do your – do journal. Like, ask people questions. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it, Not it's that hard. neat that some of these guys maybe got to Ohio City one time in four years. But, you know, the second that they maybe get to Tremont or Lakewood or the east side or – Maybe, God forbid, they go all the way up to Little Italy. You know, maybe it's a ten minute Uber ride, I'm sorry, but you could take the health line too if you really wanted to. Yeah. (laughs) That being said, I mean I think it's the interesting thing with Bayline to me is that I really am excited about him maybe operating in a college centric view, and I'm not saying that based on how you treat players. I'm saying based on how you recruit and operate in four year intervals. Like if you start to make your team look like a college team because you only think guys are going to stick around for three to five years. That four year is a very interesting time. You move guys in and out, and you create your team based around how the personnel you have are. And if it's guard-based because you've got a couple of those guys, you work on that. But if you're starting to develop bigs, then you change and transition into that. Don't just operate under the understanding you think you're going to have a 10-year group of dudes. Like That's not going to happen. You don't just get your core, you hold on to them, you win a bunch of championships, and then everyone shakes their hands on the way out and you either fade out or you get lucky and and, and something happens. Like They need to try to get themselves in a situation where the players that they have either work or if they don't, they're ready to shed them and move on and bring in that next crop. And I think that could work. I mean, I'm not 100% positive that it can And And maybe if you end up with a generational talent and you land a guy like an Embiid or a Giannis, reevaluate but until then see what you have, develop them to the best of your ability if trades that's where trades come into play instead of you know the college model and, and where you just lose guys. If, and then you, you start to t- turn that roster over and I, I think this is year two of turning the roster over this is year one of a new head coaching staff and there's still a lot of pieces that are kind of unsettled. I think by the end of the year, you would hope that you have a better understanding of what those pieces are moving forward and who is going to enter into year three as someone that you want for the future. We should have the answer on Colin by the All-Star break, and then we'll kind of know whether or not there's a tough or good, easy decision to make with him. Darius is kind of a different story depending on his health. Nance obviously is someone that they want to keep around. Kevin's an interesting question. And then you've got the guys who are probably on their way out. And, you know, Henson, you've got to make a decision on what you want to do with him. You know, Deli's another guy like that. And then obviously Tristan. And so you just kind of are looking at these dudes who are at the tail end of contracts to potentially bring assets in, whether it's overpay for contracts that you bring and just keep doing that thing because Kobe's been pretty good at doing that. And then young players, you just kind of have to learn from and understand who they are and how they play and how they fit. And to me, that's exciting. Like last year was not a very exciting year. Last year was very much a, we just got a crater, got to figure out who we are as a team. And then they decide to move forward from there. This year you're starting to figure out what questions need to be answered and you get some answers. And I think when you get to the hypothesis stage of a rebuild, that's where it starts to get a little bit fun for fans because, you have questions now that you can't answer. If you don't really have any like defined questions. It's hard to tell what you want to look for and what you want to watch.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, like I think, we'll, like like you said, we'll know about Colin at the All-Star Break. I think we're going to know about Jetty then as well. Um, this is a, like a really pivotal year for him, I think. And I and I think what you're saying is something I I don't think I've anyone heard put it that way, but I think if you think about what they did this summer, which I've generally liked, they. You know, they kind of just – they lost Nawaba, but they brought in Thornwell to just kind of be the one guy who has a pulse on defense. But then they went really young, and they went with guys that you think would fit with beeline dust. you got Dylan Windler who's going to come in and shoot threes. Garland's going to come in and shoot threes, that kind of stuff. And Kevin Porter Jr. is going to come in and be an offensive-oriented guy. Um, they basically just, like, curtailed things to what beeline's strengths as a coach are. And, like, that – they, they could have – you know sort of banked on him developing guys they could have banked on him really like trying to make guys that don't don't totally have the skill set he likes kind of work and I don't you know I'll be sure to ask him at Media day next week like what his input on the draft process was and how like how, how big of a voice he sort of had in that process because I don't I don't think we have a clear answer on that right now. Um, but I think like they clearly just like have a vision that goes back to hiring line who's offense offense offense, the guys they drafted. Colin being what he is, Jetty being what he is, like they don't have like a stud defensive prospect, or they didn't seem to prioritize them, and they're going to lead into that side of the ball. And I wonder if that's partially the plan—is like, okay, like we're going to take as many shots as we can. We'll move on from who we need to move on to, and we're going to be very selective about picking our core. I think that that's a way to do it, and it, uh, what that means for the rest of the roster, what that means for who they might want to keep around, who they might want to, what they might want to do with Kevin, which we're going to get into later. All that, so I, I wonder if that plays into just the, the kind of this being not a revolving door because that that has sort of a negative connotation, but of but like a, a pretty patient, selective kind of growing process.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's one way to build a team, right? As you can only have so many attributes and so many points, and you, you decide at some point, are we going to be mediocre on both sides of the ball? Are we going to really commit to being hard nosed defensively? Which it seems like. Memphis is trying to do in a lot of ways or do we go all in on offense and look I mean no matter what you say about how the Hawks have been doing this they're ahead of the Cavs in this process and as Brad Rowland likes to say defense is optional with them like and that's okay if they're a very fun team they're a dynamic offense they've got a lot of talent but if they have just kind of committed to just picking guys who can kind of do things okay on both sides of the ball you don't have the kind of playmaking ability that 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 team has started to generate. And whether it works or doesn't isn't really the point yet. It's just, do you have an identity? Are you committed to it? And the Hawks are committed to that identity. That's who they are. And they're going to take some shots, and they're going to score a lot of points on you. That team is not going to defend you very well. And that's okay. And And I don't think the Cavs are going to defend anybody, but they need an offensive identity. Like, they need to get an offensive identity. That's what they were missing last year amongst pretty much everything else. They just didn't know who they were. And there was never any ability to create who they were because guys were hurt. Guys were maybe not hurt but still sitting. You had how many different starting lineups last year and different roster personnel people who played. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. How are you supposed to know who you are when you don't even know who's going to be on the court from game to game? It's
1: insane. No, I think that's right. And I think, too, um... Kind of offer of that with Atlanta, like you see that they have, like even if if Trey Young is the system, they've and they've John Collins on a guy that's like every prospect they've sort of drafted like can defend, um, but it's based on Trey. But you have Cam, you have all these other guys who are defenders and should be able to defend and be productive in that way. The Cavs is the. Opposite, like it's just kind of got it's fitting beeline the coach as opposed to a single player, which I think is probably the key, the key difference. Even if if both things are optional, I think if you look at the, uh, the, the, let's say the Grizzlies, the Cavs, and the Hawks are sort of three teams all rebuilding. The Cavs are the one that probably they I think certainly have the least um player, young player that kind of shapes them. Like Atlanta obviously has Trey and John Collins. Um, you know Memphis has Triple J and, and Jaw and Brandon Clark. The Cavs like Colin could be good. We don't know what Darius is. We don't know what Kevin Porter Jr. is. All this stuff. And you mentioned offensive identity, and I think that that's sort of to me what makes the question about to ask you probably the most interesting one we have for this team this year. What do you do with Kevin Love? Um, I think he. You take him away, they're going to be much worse. There's no question. I think it could have some negative effects on how they build. I also don't firmly believe one way or the other that like not that trading him is. Is either good or bad. Like I don't. I think it all depends on what you're getting back in return. Um, I, I. It's just something that I don't think is going to go away with him. It's just going to kind of be there until he either moves on or like they just don't do anything. Like it's just one of those weird things that it's just going to be really hard to avoid, even if there's not always new information or or thinking kind of going on about that. And we also don't really know what Kevin wants, frankly, either. Um, I. I don't think you'll get it from him because he does still kind of play things close to the chest. But we don't have his unvarnished thoughts on what he thinks about where the franchise is at right now. We know he's had a great summer. We know he organized the workouts in New York last week. We know um, he's doing some really important stuff when it comes to mental health, but we don't know really what he thinks about just kind of what it means for him to be 31 and still very, very good, but playing on a team that is definitely going to be one of the worst five teams in the league this year.
0: Yeah, I think that saving grace with all this is if anyone can handle – an uncertain process is Kevin because pretty much from the entirety he's been here since he was traded for Wiggins. There's been questions about whether or not Kevin Love is going to be traded. <sighs> so he's, this isn't a new thing for him. I mean, if you go back okay. even to fitting in and fitting out, this quick, is something he's
1: dealt with. Yeah, very quick sidebar. Let's just like forever. um I don't want any, anyone ever to tell me again that the Cavs shouldn't have traded Wiggins for Love. Just no. if you still have... believe that that was, like, a thing the Cavs shouldn't have done, like, I I don't know what to tell you.
0: My rule always is, if you won a championship, it was the right move. Like, that's just, there's a lot of years of forgiveness that come out of winning a title. So, like, no matter what happens, you got one. No matter how you got one, you got one. And, A, they wouldn't have got one with, with Andrew Wiggins. That's just the case. Then you would have locked into Wiggins for a long time post-LeBron which meant that now you're entering with whatever that is, and regardless of how you feel about Kevin's contract. They, they won the title. They won a title. That's all you needed. But you're right. like I, I, that, that debate should have been settled in 2016. Like That should have been the end of that one for me. I don't know how that continued to linger on for as long as it did.
1: Correct. I but think
0: he's a good fit. Yeah, with Kevin's, yeah, Kevin, it's interesting. I have to ask you a question. Yeah, what do you think Kevin Love's value is? Because like we we see all these little articles all the time, and and sometimes you know there's there's math behind it, but the Cavs' feelings on Kevin Love are that he's a valuable player who can play at an All Star level at times on a team that maybe isn't going to just get All Stars. Like you don't just get players like Kevin Love on small market teams under contract, and maybe it's a little bit of an overpay, whatever. But there's no way, no planet to me, where he's a negative value contract. Like if that's the case, you just keep him, and then you enjoy him getting 20 and 10 to a 30. Guy like I, I, I'm just curious how you feel about it because I know the Cavs aren't going to trade him for Hassan Whiteside's expiring deal, and like maybe a future first. And they're not going to trade him for Nick Batum. Like fans are insane. Like this is not. I don't care what version of 2K you think you're playing in your head, but. Kevin Love's a veteran who's won a title. They're not just going to get Nick Batum's bad contract back and be like, well, you know what? We figured it out. We got small assets for it. Maybe we got Malik Monk. You know, good job there. That's not how front offices work.
1: No, no. And that's, I mean, it's kind of insulting when people, I'm just going to say it. Like, I think it's insulting when people, like, suggest that Cavs should do that. Like, that's weird to me when people are like, they should do this dumb trade. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not practical, like you're kind of saying. I'll say this. I don't know... I feel like the league being wide open in theory should drive up his value a little bit because if the, if a team comes and says, and is like, Oh, like we actually have a shot at this year. And like, we, this is like maybe our best chance to win. And we think Kevin's going to help us do that. Like, I think you probably, it probably drives up his value in the short term. Um, you know, I would be, if I was another team, I would be a little risk averse of like, you know, having to pay him for, the next couple of years, I've been. Mean, I think the injury concerns with him as he gets deeper into his 30s are going to be very real. Um, you know, him not really being like, I think this year, him playing one of my big questions about him is like how much is I think he's kind of built to play the five in a modern context, but the bruising that still comes with that is not something he likes doing. Does that limit sort of his like maximum effectiveness? I would argue it might. But yeah. I think it takes one team to like really look at him and say like, okay, we can we can we should give up something for him because we think we can win a title this year. Like I think Portland's kind of the obvious one. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Jonathan Sharks last week and he was like, Look, like I would do Zach Collins and salary matching for Kevin Love and I would want a little more than that. If I was the Cavs, like I would want some kind of protected pick. I would want like something other than that because you're trying to get more in return. And I do think that we, I, I do think there's a lot of value in having Kevin around, not just on a core perspective, but like showing, if he's willing to do it, showing Darius and Colin and, and all these guys how to be pros and actually being around this year, because he wasn't, you know, he was hurt a lot last year. I think that can be really valuable too, in a way that's not going to show up on, a, on early bird rights or like, you know, we look at cap sheets or whatever. Like, there's value there. But I think if you got like a young player who fits the timeline of the rest of the guys more, and you got some other stuff to work with. I think you'd have to think about it. But um, and and also, yeah. if, if Kevin if Kevin comes to Kobe the tomorrow, and is like, Hey, look, I'm not gonna like make. I'm not gonna be loud about this. I'm not gonna like make this uncomfortable for you. But there's certain places I would like to go. I'd like to go try to compete for a title again. I, I because of his relationship with you do the, I I, yeah. I wouldn't like rush into it. Like, but I would be like I would be more willing to help him out than it would be like other guys in his situation
0: something i think is very valuable about kobe this word gets around to agents and to reps that they're gonna do right by players like jr situation notwithstanding but also i think that that was kind of a weird one
1: that's the one that's the one that um that's like a weird one because it's it's a clutch thing and but the Cavs are obviously they just took a clutch client you know, yeah. it's, it's like... And I also uh, don't yeah.
0: necessarily know if, like, J.R. was really as upset as, like, it seemed like. Like, we, we know he wanted to play it, but, like, he also was getting paid to, like, chill. And he clearly still loves Cleveland because played in the celebrity softball game and gave them an extra month to work out some stuff. Yeah. And he still hasn't been signed.
1: <laughs> he's in <laughs> L.A. Like, celebrating Keenan Allen touchdowns right now, wearing AirPods yeah, like, in the NFL game, which a I can understand.
0: Having a, yeah, I mean, if it's over for J.R. Smith, it doesn't look like he's really bummed out that much like he's still having a good time but outside of that I mean every guy who needed a new location they found him one they mm-hmm. did a good job of working on it like even the smaller tiered dudes they still you know found homes for guys and they made trades to eventually get them other places even if they traded for them I think that's going to be a calling card for Kobe moving forward like when we talk about identity you mean organizational identity too and doing right by the players in the era of player empowerment pretty good thing to hang your hat on just gonna say that so that's i think right. if kevin does want to get moved they're gonna do it and they're gonna do right by him and he's more than proven that he deserves that this isn't one of those guys that has ever made waves and he's always said he didn't want to be traded when they talked about potentially trading him but i think you're right you make a good point in this is like and shout out to jesse eagle who's the best obviously but when you do look at cap sheets and we get addicted to looking at cap sheets that's an important distinction to make is what are you getting back? Because if you're just getting more money back or you're getting the opportunity to open money up, what are you going to do with that money? Because speaking from previous experience at the Cleveland Cavaliers, just signing guys doesn't necessarily mean that, like, Larry you're getting maximum value. Yeah, it's like you, you, are you getting players who are better than Kevin in the long term? No. If, if the answer to that is no or you don't have a plan for that money or you're not hoping to absorb a contract for player that also isn't a fit where he is, but is a really good young player. There are a lot of guys like that that could, have, you know, potentially work out. But if those questions all get answered with a no, don't trade Kevin Lowe.
1: Like and so it's you like,
0: have to use that money. Yeah. So I. I like
1: why, what does twenty twenty cap space do more. for you? You know, that's like the thing. It's like, like, what what are you going to get? (laughs) Yeah, Karis Levert is the guy I would have thrown like a, like, and use beeline and all this stuff to like, like if he plays well this year, I would have just been like, let's throw a big offer at him and make the Nets like think about this at the very least. That guy's off the board. There's the, the, when I've looked at the list and Jeff has a great, Jeff has a bunch of stuff on SA, You can go look at it and look at the 2020 free agents. There's like not a lot of dudes that I'm like in the rush to pay. And that includes the guys have on that are going to be their own free agents next summer. So it's just like, what do you do so with a bunch of money like that? Guy, it's just like you should like the, the if the argument is like you don't want to have to have that contract on your books. Like I it doesn't really mesh with the reality of what's to come. because you, no. you still have time before Colin gets paid again before Jetty's extension. I don't think is going to be too expensive if he ends up kind of agreeing to one, um, you know, like there's n- like you have time on these other young guys.
0: And that's my big thing is like I think everyone who says, Oh well the Cavs are rebuilding and they're paying Kevin Love enough, you gotta get out from that contract as soon as possible Do you? No. I mean, like what is it hurting the Cavs to keep Kevin Love on their team? He sells some tickets, he fans love him. He's a good veteran. He's a true positive veteran and there aren't that many of them on a losing team. That's not just like a skill that you can factor in. And is eating up cap space in a way that isn't going to cripple you. Because no matter how long they hold on to him, that value typically goes up the longer the contract is going on. I mean, I, I, I know I'm not right, and like Sam is probably going to come find me and tie me up in my sleep for, for saying this because he's so dead on about the value of the contract. But I personally just think that in a vacuum, it's different than in reality in a small market team sometimes. And, and you have to take the, quality, the caliber of the player and the set of circumstances that you're, that you're under and I just don't think there's any rush to do it. I, I honestly think you have a guy who you, is a known quantity for you. You know how he fits in the locker room. Going out to go get a different guy for slightly incremental change who maybe has one fewer year, just doesn't do it for me. I think you have to get a guy you like who's a young player who maybe is expendable on another team or contract you do like for a team that needs to win but doesn't want that guy. There are a lot of situations, but I think if there was an easy answer to this question, it would have already been made. That's just how I feel about it. And because there isn't, I think that that means none of the packages that they've been presented with. And they have been presented with packages. We know that people were interested in Kevin yeah, It didn't fit what they wanted.
1: No, and the Cavs should be picky. They have every right to be picky
0: in the position of power here. They've got the former all star who's won a title, who maybe, you know, injury concerns or not, is a good dude who can play in an elite level and is productive when he needs to be productive. And there are times last year he probably would have been okay if he played a little harder or came back from injury a little sooner or didn't rest on back to back. But they didn't need him to do any of that stuff. They needed to keep their pick. They didn't really need to win any basketball games last no, year. No, and they don't really need to win any basketball games this year because if they win too many, then they're just doing DG a favor now that he ended up with that Atlanta Fit.
1: Yeah. I uh I think the hope is like you have progress Like I think last year that by the end of the season being around the locker room, being around that team, it was very just like there's no like energy anymore and I think you just wanna not have – I don't know how you strike the balance of like, being bad, but also having energy. I think that'll be kind of seeing how that works out, especially because, like, the end of the season, like, on this crazy road trip out west. Like, they're in Utah and, like, California, like, all of it in April. So it's like they they kind of have – if things are going bad if they're on the road for a while, like, that that could be tough and, and not fun, especially because the roster's still, like, a little weird. We'll see how it shapes up this year. Um, I want to ask you this, though, as we kind of get towards the end here. When you look at this actual season, I think they're going to be very bad my expectation is, is like they're going to be one of the worst four or five teams in the league. I think Charlotte's probably a little bit worse on my personal rankings, but they, they you know, they at least like have guys that have maybe some stuff that just kind of makes more sense or whatever reason. I think it's all about, you know, you want to see your young guys actually take steps and you want to like just be a little more competent throughout the year and have a little more structure and and the roster has to get pointed in the right direction. I think it, the trade stuff we talked about everything it's all about 2020 into 2021 and so forth I I just need to see I think you just want to actually see real progress and in terms of Garland and KPJ and Windler you want to see them actually be do stuff that is productive and and feel like they're going to get better in a year or two and and, ho- and hopefully they get chances to do so I don't the wins and losses record isn't super important to me it's going to you know degrade on them if they have a 10 game losing streak but I think it's just a, it's about more. It's about the the little stuff that you want to notice. Um, Atlanta as a team, like you want to have like a season like they had last year, where maybe it's not quite the, the ceiling isn't as high, and the the peaks won't be as high, but where like the pot the, the potential is just so clearly there that you think it's going to manifest that next year. That's what you're looking for, and I think that's the best case scenario is that they can have something resembling that to you. What would a successful season look like for this Cavs group?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's it, right? That it's fun. That they're fun to watch. They, weren't a, they were not a fun basketball team to watch last season. There were not noteworthy yeah. moments. There weren't highlights. There weren't times for the team to come together and celebrate on the court. There weren't exciting post-games, press conferences, or quotes. It seemed like nobody was having a good time last year at all. I mean, you've got a coach who outright was basically saying that in the interim, that he just didn't even know if he wanted the job full-time. That's never really a good sign. Oh, man, we, you know, I'll do it. I'll be the interim. I'd like to be paid more. I hope you guys pay me more. But I'm going to do this job, and honestly, if you give me the job, I, I, if you offer it to me, I don't know if I want it. That's not how you want this team to be. So The first thing is like you would hope that with the new coaching staff, you've got guys who have been around NBA locker rooms before, guys who were interviewing for head coaching jobs, and then you've got a dude who clearly knows how to keep teams level-headed, throughout a season, get the most out of his guys, and, and you hope that that translates to the NBA level with him. I, I don't see Dayline struggling to motivate his guys during losing streak. I, I think he's got a pretty level-headed you know, stance on things, and players love him. Everybody who's ever played for him at Michigan. I mean, I, I don't think there's a, anyone who, who has a bad thing to say about him, and other coaches love him too at the college level. Again, it's it's a very tough transition, but if there's anywhere to do it, it's here. I mean, you're not dealing with New York or Boston media. You're not dealing with the crippling expectations of being you know being a winner tomorrow. Just have fun. Get out there. Get the team just has to get better. Evaluate the personnel they have. Make decisions on some of the guys that that maybe need to be moved during the season to bring in more assets. Get a couple highlight wins. You know, have a game winner from Colin, have a thunderous dunk from Darius, have a game where Garland scores 40, have a game where Kevin goes 20 and 20, you know, do right by Tristan whenever that decision comes down. Have Larry continue to get better at passing the ball and, and on a defensive end of the floor, see what you have with Windler, see what you have with KPJ, and, you know, let Jetty cook. And if they do all those things and, like, they're smiling, then you've done the right. Like a, the win-losses, it does not matter. Like unless you're betting on the over/under in Vegas, those are super inconsequential to me. Like the, the best possible situation is the team's a lot more fun and you have the first pick, right? But with the way that the lottery odds are, we don't really have to worry about the, the win chasing or, the, more importantly, the loss chasing that has happened in the past. Just that stuff kind of is gonna settle itself in some ways. Just get yourself in the top ten hope that your odds are decent, hope that the ping-pong balls go your way, you get a pick that you want, and you're happy with, with the guys that you have by the time the trade deadline rolls around. That's really it for me. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing because there's you're, you're basically evaluating a season on feeling, which is kind of a dangerous thing to do in an analytics world, but obviously you want the analytics to support that the guys you have are who they're supposed to be. You know, Collins got to get better on the defense than on the floor. He's got to improve his assist rate. If he keeps shooting the three ball at the level which he was doing, Darius draws some of the attention off of him, which allows him and also Jetty to do a better job of you know, finding their spots and taking more efficient shots. Like, there are ways to kind of do film breakdowns in a way that still allows you to prove out the point. But at the end of the day for it, is this team having fun and do you look like you got NBA players on the floor? If that those two things are true, you win 18 games, and I don't care. Like, because yeah. it, it just means that I feel better about where they're headed from last season.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a really it's all about it, is looking is kind of just looking like you're headed in a better direction than were last year because last year sucked. I like Larry Drew like as a human being, like I like I I like a lot of the guys over there. But it's like that there was no direction to that group and I think this year if unless things just go completely off the rails, like I at least feel like there's a direction to this and, and I think that's just that it to me is like if you wanted to find like if it took them a year, which I think makes sense, but if you wanted them to pivot to something post LeBron, I think actually having a direction and trying to establish a vision and they're gonna use the word culture a lot, so expect to hear a lot of that in the Renaissance and all this shit it's going to be like that's at least a positive. It's like they're at least going to set a tone and try to set a culture and a, and a vision for things instead of just being like, all right, let's just like sign Earl Clark and hope that gets him and Kyrie and Deion to the playoffs and Andrew Bynum and things. <laughs> like we're, we're not that far removed from that in reality. So like I think at yeah, least they I mean, appear to have learned some lessons. We, As
0: long as we're not seeing the Marto Samuels and Jawab Williams and, you know, Manny is again, like, that. that's the big thing for me, is, like, the cap NBA players out there this time around, like, I, I it was one thing, seeing Blossom Boston gave it done, like, he actually played kind of well, but if you don't have revolving doors of, you know, exhibit contracts, and, and a lot of two-way guys, and dudes you call up for one or two games for ten days, like, that's what I, I as long as you want playing those dudes, play dudes who are either going to be a part of your future or you're showcasing, and you end up moving, like, I, that, that's all that matters to me with this year. Like, Just use the minute to evaluate who you have and try to figure out where you're headed from there. Don't just waste seasons. I, I, they can't tread water. They can be as bad as they want to be, but just make sure there's a direction. And that's where I think culture gets lost. And I, I, that phrase has driven me nuts ever since I was covering college basketball because I think <laughs> a lot of the time it doesn't mean anything.
1: No, it doesn't. But
0: for this team specifically, I think culture means it means motion. Like you have to be moving towards something. Like you have to identify, however you're choosing to do it. Like, do they create a vision board? Do they have a PowerPoint presentation or Keynote? Do they have something written down that says by the end of year two, this is what our goal is. By the end of year three, here's where we should be. These are the types of players we want. We want to make sure we have an all-star caliber player. We want to make sure we have a good number two. We want to make sure we have two other NBA players who are under 25. Like, what are the specifics of this? And that's where I go back from saying, for a fan, you want to care about feeling. But from an organizational perspective, success has to be measured by metrics that you have decided before the season started. Get those things down to the specificity of very very important thing because then you can start to evaluate that over time and that's where the rebuild will be successful is, is are you checking off your boxes that you have and they don't need to be points they don't need to be you know hold the team to a certain field goal percentage like that's not you know like maybe they have that on their whiteboard in the, in the locker room but organizationally top down you got to have these checkpoints to look in on especially when you get to the all-star break and you're looking at you know, what you've done after the trade deadline heading into the break. And you can say, we've made some of the moves we needed to make because by December 30th, we knew this is where we were at or this is what we had to get done. And I I think, I trust that Kobe can do that because it really seems like that's been a focal point for him and that's something he's learned over time. And I think he trusts that when he doesn't know something, he can go call dudes that he does trust. To get the right insight like he's he's too sharp to not have this plan set and and they can go forward with that with the coaching half you know coaching staff blessing so to
1: speak yeah no I think that's exactly right uh, Martin thank you so much for coming on and just give everyone a quick plug of everything you guys are, are doing over at dime as we get closer to the NBA season
0: yeah I mean we're we're headed right into our preseason package um We've got a lot of really interesting essays and breakdowns and interviews and features coming up that really prove out the type of work that we're trying to do more consistently on a regular basis. I mean, I, I can't say enough about how great the staff we have has turned over the the caliber of work over the last couple of years and really created like the same thing. We've been talking about an identity of who we want to be moving forward where, we just provide context and empathy in everything we're doing. Like our our end game is really to just make a more human, smarter basketball fan, not just having arguments, not just trying to talk about who's better, who's worse, fighting constantly the way that we see at times. I just want us to prove out that athletes are human, but they are playing a game that we care a lot about. So when the numbers support it, we'll talk about the numbers. And when the players give us a chance to showcase their personality and who they are on and off the court, we're going to try our best to do that, too. I mean, obviously, realities are what they are, um, you know, from from a situation situational standpoint in this industry, but, you know, from from Robbie to Brad to the times when we get to use Jeff and, you know, his work at Early Bird Rights is incredible, and we're just happy that he's chosen sometimes to use our platform to write smart, important things. to The stuff Nikias and Sabrina are doing and, and bringing Christian in and Bill D, who's my rock you know we've got a lot of talented people um across the board who love this league and really are invested in not just the success of the league but the success of you know everyone who cares about that league and you know we're we're just going to do our best to provide that and we're always looking for ways to get better so you can just check out dime if you want share stuff on there if you want to too but don't hurt, won't hurt my feelings if you guys are critical of it or you don't choose to share things like we're all just in this together we're trying to enjoy basketball and, and you know maybe make a couple bucks doing it sometimes uh so that's kind of my spiel there but you can find me at martin rickman on twitter maybe sometimes on locked on podcast sometimes just wandering around you know doing whatever <laughs> sometimes in nba locker room too so.
1: yeah go check that out uh, martin's great he is you'll hear my life on Lockdown hawks and you'll hear you can go check out everything i are doing over on a time, and hopefully we'll have him back again during the season once, you know, Colin Sexton looks like he's an all-star or something like that. But, Brad, I mean, sorry, ugh, sorry. <laughs> Martin, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Anytime and uh, excited about the season. Like I said, I I, I feel ex- – I'm excited to watch the Cats. And I, I don't think I said that very often last year. No. So, it, at least from that standpoint – that's going to be fun, especially since we can get to see most of these dudes in summer league. So like preseason is going to be our first chance to really see some of these new guys working. I mean, to see Jetty and Colin hanging out at summer league in sneakers and jeans and sweats, but like actually seeing these guys on the floor together, that's, it's, it's, it's something to be thankful for. Um, and I think that's something we're all going to be excited about is just having the NBA season back. It's, it, it's, Better than arguing about fourth and nine draw calls and arguing about pass interference challenges and whatever else that that the NFL tries to to do. It's it's not the same, man. I'm ready for basketball to be back. So thanks for
1: having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm ready too. Um, especially as the Browns are just the Browns, but we'll check. We'll have hopefully the Browns, the, the Cavs can be like an antidote to some of the the weirdness with the Cleveland Browns. But uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode of Lockdown Cavs for myself for Martin. Thanks again.